So every week when uh, I'm getting ready to speak to you, I struggle. I struggle with what I'm going to say. I struggle with the whole preparation time, thinking things like, uh, will you approve? Will you fall asleep? Uh, will you laugh at things I say? And I sometimes tell my wife, this one's really bad. I don't think anybody's going to come back after I say this. It's just, they're going to be so bored. And you probably struggle with the same thing, but because what I'm talking about is acceptance and approval. We all struggle with that. It starts from a very young age. When you're a little kid, everybody in here has been a kid, right? Remember back, you were a kid at one time? When you were a little kid, you would draw stuff and you would take it to your parents or your grandparents or somebody for what? Approval. And you would take this drawing to them that had everything out of proportion, things were the wrong color, they didn't even look like they were supposed to look, and they would lie to you and say, that's beautiful. <laughs> All because you need approval. We need approval. We need to know that somebody notices. We need to know that somebody cares. We need to know that somebody looks at us and says, that person is doing it right. All of us look for that. And every day we have this struggle that is between where we get our approval and where we should get our approval. We struggle between, do I try to get my approval from everything around me or do I go to a deeper source? Every person struggles with that. There's something within us that seeks approval. If you grew up in a church environment, chances are that many of you who did grew up in an environment where God was presented to you in such a way that you grew up feeling like you had to win his approval. Does that hit home for anybody? That you had to just do everything just right if you wanted to win God's approval, and when you didn't, it was eternal damnation. I mean, that's what was hanging in the balance. It's eternity with God or eternal damnation because of your mistakes. Now, that's an incorrect view of God, but that just reinforces how the world tells us you must seek approval. You must get someone to tell you you're awesome. And there's a scene described by Jesus in the New Testament that is one of the strongest scenes that he talked about, about the afterlife, about what comes after this. And there's this moment when all who follow God and all who've ever lived stand before God himself. And those of us who said yes to Jesus will hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. All of us long to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Who's going to get to hear that? The people who do everything right or the people who trusted in Jesus to make everything right? And so today as we enter into the last part of this series called Forget You, we're still talking about this tension that exists between what God wants and what we want. See, we want to get our approval from our performance. I do well, so I get approval. 
But God wants us to get our approval from something much deeper than our performance. When we say yes to Jesus, he comes into our life and several things happen. One, our sins are forgiven forever. That's pretty awesome. And another thing that happens, his Holy Spirit comes to live in us and enable us to do things we normally couldn't do. And so we've said it like this over the past several weeks, that God can produce within me what I cannot produce myself. And all of it comes from this section of scripture that a first century pastor named Paul wrote in Galatians chapter five when he describes what happens to us when we say yes to Jesus. It says this, the Holy Spirit produces in us this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when the Holy Spirit is indwelling someone's life, that is the fruit you can count on seeing being developed in their life. So when you say yes to Jesus, those are the things that should begin to characterize your life. We could not have those things in any kind of a sustainable measure on our own. Only by the power of God can we have those things in our life. Because just before this is listed in Galatians 5, what the Holy Spirit brings into our life is a list of where our hearts will naturally go without God in control of our lives. They're called the acts of the sinful nature. In other words, the things that we do on our own and where our hearts will drift without the Holy Spirit directing our lives. It says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. What he's saying is that is where your heart will naturally drift, but there's a better way. Your heart will naturally drift towards those things. All you have to do, at least this weekend, especially is turn on the TV and see where people's hearts drift when that list guides their life. See where people's hearts drift when they allow the desires of their sinful nature to make them feel a certain way, whether they feel like they're superior, where they feel like they've got something that somebody else doesn't have, or whatever leads people to think the evil thoughts that we see displayed in the news. Hate, selfishness, racism, all of that comes from the acts of the sinful nature. And there's only one answer to it, the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only answer. So we're, we've been saying in the series, forget you, meaning forget the acts that your heart will lead you to normally and allow God to inhabit your heart and change everything. So let's read these fruits out loud together in Galatians chapter five. Here we go. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
That's what will fix what's messed up in our lives and what's messed up in our world. Those things right there. Laws aren't gonna fix it, elections aren't gonna fix it, people aren't gonna fix it, but only the Spirit of God inhabiting the hearts of people will fix those things. Only the Spirit of God inhabiting our world and people allowing the Holy Spirit to move within them is gonna move them from that first list I read to this. Because we won't get there on our own, we only get there through his strength and his spirit. And so today I'm gonna talk about the last one on that list. We've talked about all of them, not necessarily in order, but the last one we're gonna talk about today is faithfulness and what faithfulness looks like and how we allow God to produce faithfulness in us. See, is faithfulness just about doing the things to win God's approval? Because we live in a world that wants to give approval. Even when you don't win, you know, they want to give you approval. Even when you haven't done all that needs to be done, the world says, we still want to give you approval. Is that what faithfulness is, is just doing everything right so we get approval? I do know that if I use my Starbucks app enough times in a row, I get a free drink. And I feel very approved by that. Add up how much you spent to get that, and it'll like change your world a little bit. But you do feel good. It's not really free. You know, it's like, it's the least we could do after charging that much for what you've been getting. <laughs> and you probably have a reward card on your keychain. We celebrate milestones. When somebody, when somebody reaches a certain birthday, when, they're, when they get to double digits, when they get to 18, when they get to 25, when they get to 50, when they get to 100, people celebrate birthdays and milestones and we're inspired by that. There's a lady that goes to one of our other locations and she's 96 years old and she reminds me that she's 96, drives herself to church, doctor says you're healthy and I said, when you turn 100, Josie, here's what we're gonna do. We don't publicly celebrate birthdays at our church but that day we're gonna celebrate your birthday. I'm gonna bring you out on stage and I'm gonna say this is Josie and she's 100 years old and I bet she drives herself to church that day. And that will inspire us because it's a milestone. One time she said to me, honey, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. <laughs> I was like, she, she's right. She is definitely right. In 2006, Joe and Ann Bittar turned 101 and 104. They're married for 83 years. And they did a little thing in 2016 on Twitter so they could answer questions about marriage. So if you want to look up what they said on Twitter about marriage, look it up. But it's inspirational to hear about someone who has been faithful and they talk about their faithfulness. Stories of faithfulness inspire faithfulness. And if God produces all of these fruits in our lives that we've been reading about, how does he produce faithfulness? And what is faithfulness? Because we think faithfulness is about just being accurate or being perfect. But when we look in God's word at people who are held up as faithful, we see anything but perfection. There's a New Testament book that talks about these great heroes of faith and how they exercise their faith and faithfulness throughout life. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. We'd like for you to have one. Just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. That one is yours to keep. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called the, the chapter of faith or the great hall of fame of faith. And here's what it says. It starts out beginning in chapter 11, verse 1, defining faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So at the beginning of this part of the book of Hebrews, this writer is just trying to explain to us what faith is. It's believing in something you can't see. And he uses the universe as an example. No matter what you believe about how the universe got here, it's on faith. It is. Even if you don't believe God did it, you still have faith in something. So you have the ability to have faith in things you can't see because people have a lot of different faith thoughts about how the universe got here. Those of us who say, yes, God did it, we have our faith in this all-powerful, all-knowing being that put everything into existence. And that's what this writer is saying. That's what faith is. You believe in something that you don't see. So after defining faith, he goes on to give us examples of what faithfulness looks like. And so he names all of these characters that you can read about in the Old Testament that if you went to Sunday school, you've heard of all of these. If, if you're just a casual churchgoer or first few times, you've still probably heard some of these names. He talks about Abel. He talks about Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab. He talks about the parents of Moses and how what they did, they did by faith. And he holds them up as this example of faithfulness. And in verse 13, he says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. And then later on, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. So he's giving us an example of what faithfulness looks like and what faithfulness enables you to do. He's saying, look at what they did. Look how they overthrew kingdoms. Look how they brought justice to the world because of their faithfulness. And so because of what is said about faithfulness, we can conclude a couple of things. Faithfulness is demonstrated by action. Saying you have faith and not having action with it means you don't really have faith. Every story that's described in Hebrews chapter 11 says, begins saying, by faith. They believed in something, God and his power, and they acted on it. That is faith. So faithfulness is demonstrated by action. And if I'm going to allow God to produce faithfulness in me, there has to be some action, not to win approval, but to confirm that I am a person that wants the Holy Spirit to be working in my life. That's 
what faithfulness is, is allowing God to work in our lives. So faithfulness is demonstrated by action. And if I'm going to continue to allow God to produce it in me, here's what I have to realize. Faithfulness grows one decision at a time. One decision at a time is how faithfulness grows. Now, we think, because everything's so fast in our culture, that, well, I can come to church an hour a week and my faith is going to grow. We can't, we can't sing enough. I can't say enough. I can't say it eloquently enough or convicting enough to make your faith grow. If that's what you're counting on, I got news for you. I can't do it. Nobody can. No teacher, no speaker, no musician can. So microwave faith doesn't work. Faithfulness grows one decision at a time. He starts out mentioning all of these names, and Abraham is one of them. Abraham is the father of our faith, meaning that when God called his people, he started with a guy named Abraham. And if you trace Jesus all the way back and keep going all the way back, everything ends up with this guy named Abraham. And Abraham was this example of faith because God came into his life at probably what was a very inconvenient time because Abraham was wealthy, he owned lots of land, he had crops, he had herds, and God shows up and says, I want you to leave all that. And I want you to go somewhere that I'm not gonna tell you where you're going, I just want you to go. And so he made the decision that because God told him he was gonna do great things that he must be going to do great things and so he went without knowing where he was going. And trusting God in that one decision laid the foundation for the rest of his life to be marked by big faith decisions. And if you've ever made a big faith decision, you know how it enables you to make the next big faith decision and then the next big faith decision, how it's one decision at a time to where there was a point in Abraham's life that goes beyond anything that any of us can internalize Abraham was told, go sacrifice your son. This son that you waited for, go sacrifice him. And that, to me, as a father, and to us as parents, we have to be thinking, I would not do it. I would say, sorry, God, I was with you up until that moment. I'm not in. But what we have to understand is, later on, here's what it says about Abraham. It says that even when God told him to sacrifice his son, that he knew that God could raise him from the dead. So his faith had grown over that about 25 years from the time God said go and Abraham went to where God delivered and gave him this son. He knew, okay, this is, this is something God can overcome. And yes, I will sacrifice my son, God, if that's what you're asking. Now, he ended up not because God rescued him just like he knew he would. So when you think what a hard decision that must have been, maybe it wasn't because his faithfulness was so strong and he knew what the outcome was going to be. Abraham had developed a sense of, the, of faithful consistency over time. Eugene Peterson says this about faith. He said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's developed like a tree. It's not fast. 
We used to live in this house that had no trees in the front yard. Uh, the sun would come in, and my wife would say, plant a tree. And I'm like, I'll be an old man before I can enjoy the shade. Like, why would I waste time planting? Like, I want to get a big tree. So I start trying to figure out, how can I get a fully grown tree? That's too expensive. That wasn't even an option. So we just got another house, you know, maybe. <laughs> so it would have some trees around it. It was cheaper. It grows over time. It's like our muscles. When we want to build our muscles, it's over time. It takes discipline, effort, and time. And when we look in our own lives at marriages and relationships, one good decision is not going to make everything better. But a series of good decisions over time in the same direction will make a huge difference. Those little decisions to love and support and work through issues in a relationship will create strength. So faithfulness comes one decision at a time. The first huge decision that Cinda and I made as a couple was to move 18 hours away and accept this ministry that we were being offered to lead that was in a place I thought I would never go, that was, was doing something I thought I would never do. But we were before God and asked him to give us an answer. And the answer we believed we got very tangibly was, go, move, even though I didn't really, I didn't really want to, but we felt like we were supposed to, and we did. That decision made it easier to know what God was saying the next time a big faith-filled decision was required. Those little investments over time of faith-filled decisions will enable you to make bigger and bigger decisions as your faith grows. Think of those of you who are parents, there's not one thing you can do for your little kids to invest in them. There's just not one thing. It's a series of investments over time that will make a difference. And so the best thing you can do if you want to raise great kids, which is not easy, but it is simple. Make small investments over time that will add up to one big payoff at the end. Make the little investments I mean, missing a dinner is not going to destroy your child. Missing a game is not going to destroy your child. But consistently doing that over time will have a negative effect on them. But doing the positive over time will have a huge payback. Our girls are 19 and 21 years old. And somebody told me about these small investments of time long before they were ever even born. And I made a decision. I'm going to invest in my kids small amounts of investment over time. And so we did crazy things when they were little. We still go on daddy-daughter dates, and they're 19 and 21 years old. And they still look forward to that. Not because when they turned 18, I was like, oh my gosh, you're growing up. We better start spending some time together. I'd done it all along, and it's become an expectation in their life and in mine. Now, it all changes the way it looks. But it started when they were little, and I would say, hey, let's go on a daddy-daughter date for breakfast. And they would get ice cream for breakfast. Like, my wife was wondering, why do they always want to go with you for breakfast? Like, well, you know, we just, it's a daddy-daughter thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> and we would go to McDonald's or somewhere, and I would say, whatever you want, ice cream, even ice cream. And they would just sit there, and they would eat ice cream at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> and they remember that. One day, uh, my now 19-year-old, Abby, when she was in third or fourth grade, I decided 
I'm going to play hooky from work, and she's going to play hooky from school. I'm going to get her in the carpool line, and we're, I'm just going to say, Abby, we're skipping today. And we're just going to go have fun. We're going to hang out, go to parks. We're going to play. We're going to go to the mall, all this kind of stuff. So I get her in line. We're getting up. She's getting ready to get out. I look back and said, Abby, we're going to skip today. She said, what? I said, you're going to skip school. I'm going to skip work, and we're just going to hang out. And she said, not without calling mommy, you're not. First thing. <laughs> And so I'd already cleared it, it was okay, but she had to talk to her mother to make sure she could skip school. But those little investments over time have really paid off in the relationship I have with them now. And so when you have little kids, invest in them when they're that size, so when they get older, it's a lot easier to deal with the junk they're gonna bring into your life, like boys and stuff like that, but that's a whole other thing. Good marriages and good parenting, it's not about one decision. And strong faith is not about one decision. It's about a series of good decisions over time that pay off big dividends in the end. A pastor and author named Fred Craddock said it this way, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and cashes in that $1,000 for quarters. And then we go through life putting 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listening to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. So every time you choose to do the right thing, you're growing in your faithfulness. Every time you choose to say no to the things that you know will bring you down, you're growing in your faithfulness. And the truth is that each decision that's placed before us is an opportunity to grow in our faithfulness. Yet, even though you may not be making the investments over time you should, even though you're, you quickly go to, uh, when you hear stories about great marriages or great parents, and you quickly go to like, oh no, I'm a failure, I'm horrible at this. Here's what you have to understand about faithfulness. Faithfulness does not mean perfection. Because all of those people that we talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, these people that are held up as examples of faith, that's what they're called. These are your examples to look at when, it, when we're considering faithfulness. Let's just take Abraham. Abraham, whose story is amazing and inspirational, told lies about his wife, Sarah, because he didn't trust in God. The same man who came up with this plan or agreed to this plan that he would sleep with his maid in order to have a child because he thought God wasn't gonna deliver is held up as a person of faith, of great faith. Moses, who led God's people out of bondage in Egypt, led them towards the promised land, is held up as an example of faith. He committed murder. He ran from God. And he made a bad decision that kept him from entering into the promised land. And yet he's held up as a great person of faith. And a guy named King David, who is called a man after God's own heart and is applauded for his faithfulness, really messed up. How does he make the list of being faithful? He was a warrior king, but he also had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. 
He had to be confronted about it because he tried to hide it to the depths of getting her husband killed. And yet God sees his life and says, you are a man of faith. And that gives hope to all of us. Because when you read Hebrews chapter 11 of these great people of faithfulness, you don't hear about their mistakes. And isn't it great to know, and hopefully you can learn this, that God doesn't look at you and see your mistakes. When you say yes to Jesus, he, he, that's gone. Those mistakes are gone. They don't define your life anymore. And the reason these people who made huge mistakes make the hall of fame of faith that's written in Scripture is because their lives were not defined by the mistakes they made, but by the direction in which they were walking. And the same is true for you. Your life is not defined by the mistakes that you make. It's defined by the direction in which you're walking. That is how everybody can have faithfulness. That doesn't mean bad things didn't happen. It doesn't mean that when you do bad things, there won't be consequences that you have to deal with but it means your life doesn't have to be defined by the mistakes that you've made. And here's what it means. It means your next decision, not your last decision, is one that can show your faith, whatever that next decision is. Your next decision to choose faith is what God is after. The ones you've already made are in the past. Forget them. The next decision, choose faith. And faithfulness is not about living perfectly. It's about choosing to trust God and obey him the next opportunity that comes your way. Nobody on the list I read today was faithful. Only Jesus is the one that can say, well, I was faithful. I did it all right, and he did. But I'm not, and you're not. And the one thing that we are all consistent in throughout life is that we find ourselves being unfaithful over and over again, but there's something much greater than our unfaithfulness. It's God's ability to forgive it. It's God's ability to produce faithfulness in us because of the faithfulness in him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing produces faith in you more than experiencing God's faithfulness towards you. If, you, if you're friends with me on Facebook in particular, there, there's a phrase in there, my profile, it says, it says who I am, says what I do, but it, there's a phrase that says, living proof that God can use anybody. And that's me. Living proof that God can use anybody. And God can use you. You can develop faithfulness in your life no matter what road you've walked up until now. It's simply by saying, God, I want faithfulness in my friendships, in my marriage, in my church, in my relationships. And what would it look like to get to the end of your life not seeking approval from God, but living faithfully for God and hearing Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So how do you produce or how do you allow God to produce faithfulness in you? One decision at a time. And if you messed up, start making the right decisions today. If you messed up this morning, start making the right decisions now. And that's going to accumulate over time. And the cumulative effect over time will change your life and the lives of those around you.
you always get to start over. Some of you are in college and you're, you just started or just getting ready to start class again or just getting ready to start public schools again or where, however you go to school and you're getting ready to start a whole new semester or season. And I remember loving that because it's like you get to start over and as long as you don't mess up too many times in a row and your parents say no more money, you can start over again. As long as the money holds out, you can just keep starting over and over and over. Well, with God, the money never runs out, and you can always start over, and you can always have a fresh start. No matter how much unfaithfulness has been in your life, faithfulness can rule. Faithfulness is about making the right decision, one decision at a time. And to wrap up this series, I want to read what we all need to allow God to produce in us. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you say yes to Jesus, he begins to produce those things in you. And it will change your life and the people around you. Let's pray. God, as we wrap up this time of just thinking about you producing fruits in our lives, God, may we be a testimony to how messed up people trust in you for our faithfulness, for our goodness, and for all the fruits that you want to bring into our lives. And God, I pray for the people in this room that have yet to say yes to Jesus. May today more than ever they see that what awaits is a life of faithfulness, and no matter how many mistakes are made, you are faithful and will forgive us every time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.